Hello, and welcome back to the Circling Salesforce podcast. Today for you, I have sale introducers number 18, uh, Val Whiting with me, Coach Val. Uh, I'm just going to go down this list because this list is very impressive to me. Pac-10 Freshman of the Year, two-time NCAA champion, two-time Pac-10 Player of the Year, former USA Women's Basketball Team National Team member, uh, ABL All-Star, WNBA Veteran, Stanford Athletic Hall of Fame, SB Award finalist, Naismith Award finalist, Emmy nominee, and that's just that's just something. So I appreciate having you on. How have things been for you this spring? How are you doing? Oh, how um, are you doing? Doing great and enjoying the weather. I think it's back to sunshine again. It just scared me for a couple of days <laughs> <laughs> with the rain. Yeah, no, I uh, I think we talked about it earlier, but uh, it's it's interesting how the the weather's been, and I think we only had the the Saturday was it was kind of overcast and it rained but it's been nice so I'll, I'll take it you know yeah um, i was worried because someone's like oh well it's gonna rain for the next few days like oh right <laughs> that's what i saw but then i mean at least yesterday from what i remember it was nice so you know i'll i'll take it uh i want to get into sort of the beginnings here um was it difficult at all for you to uh defer your acceptance to the university of california san francisco school of medicine in order to play basketball over in brazil and italy was that a tough decision for you or did you sort of know that you wanted to do you wanted to play basketball first um i knew i wanted to play basketball first just give it a try and i really didn't think i was gonna have any kind of career or anything so i just said okay i'll just give me two years and and then I'll go back. What ultimately brought you to Stanford? How was, what factored into you attending university? How did that decision made? Um, you know, what made you say, hey, you know, I'm going to Stanford? Well, I always wanted to go to school in California. Um, I, I'm from Delaware and I was living in Delaware at the time. And I don't, I don't know why, maybe from the TV, just the beaches, the palm trees. And the weather. And honestly, I didn't even know Stanford was in California until I got my first letter from them. I, I never even had heard of Stanford because on the East Coast, I just knew about the Ivy League schools like Harvard and Penn and, and Yale. And so when someone said, oh, it's Stanford, that's on the West Coast, that's on, in California, that's a, a good school and they have a good pre-med program as I wanted to be pre-med, um, that piqued my interest. Uh. So, and then, and that, uh, speaking of that, what, what sparked your interest in pre-med? How did that sort of come to be? What made you want to look into that, uh, that field? Well, ever since I was a, a little girl, I always wanted to be a doctor. I was making like prosthetic uh, arms and legs for my, for my dolls, you know, when they, when they would break and performing surgery. And I, I had a love for science and biology and chemistry and it's just something I always wanted to do. So then we're going to go back to playing in Italy and Brazil. What sort of lessons and memories from your time there do you take back? Um, and how different would you say the basketball scenes are? I mean, were they? Hello? You're frozen. Ah, oh, shoot. I just see So what sort of lessons and memories did you take 
from your time playing in uh, Italy and Brazil? And then how different would you say was playing basketball over there as compared to your time that you had previously spent playing basketball in the U.S.? Um, so Italy was hard for me. Um, for some reason, I was obsessed with playing in Italy. So I told my agent I wanted to play in Italy. I thought that's where all the best players were going. And so I just went to a team instead of going to the best fit for me. So that was hard because it was a small town. Um, no one really spoke English um, on my team. And my other foreign teammate, because you get two foreigners per team, was Russian and she spoke Italian, but I didn't speak Italian yet. So that was hard. I just felt really isolated and I was really homesick. And um, you're gone again. Oh, you're back. All right. And then I went back and came back to Brazil. And I love Brazil. Brazil um, country is very warm, meaning the people are very warm. Um, I felt like every other week there was a holiday because it's a Catholic country and some, some celebration for some saint. And the, the team, once again, my team didn't speak English, um, but I, I learned Portuguese. I was in a small town. The town was so small that People were riding horses to the grocery store and parking them outside, <laughs> you know. So that was just really, that was really cool. And they love women's basketball there. Some of the best players in the world um, have come out of Brazil. And I do oh, how different from the United States. I think United States, we tend to overdo stuff. I felt like when I was in Italy and Brazil, like we practiced smartly the smart mm -hmm. way and with a lot of overtraining and um, for instance in Brazil like we would warm up in different ways like one time we warmed up playing soccer or another time we warmed up playing handball and it was it seemed like it was more about um, just preserving our bodies instead of beating ourselves up so I was I was used to going hard at practice all the time and that necessarily wasn't the vibe when I played when we were practicing in Brazil. It is interesting to hear that, you know, because, you know, to your point, uh, you don't you don't want to overdo things necessarily before you get to, you know, a game level or, you know, necessarily uh, uh, overtrain yourself. So it is interesting to hear that, you know, and like you said, practicing uh, in a smart way and just being able to be efficient, I guess, with, you know, the practice that you have. Uh, it is definitely interesting to hear about. Um, how was your time with UA Bas USA Basketball? And uh, what sort of things did you remember from that time? So that's probably one of the biggest life-changing moments was my experience with USA Basketball. So um, for the 95 national team, which was the first time I was to train together the whole year and play in the 96 Olympics, which is going to be in Atlanta. And um, my college coach was the coach of that team. Stanford, So before the tryouts happened, um, one of the players came to me and said, the Olympic committee said, if you come to this trial in shape, you will make the team. And, and I came in shape. Um, I, you know, I hired, I had people don't, I didn't have money, so that much money. Because I didn't go to Brazil until the year after, after that. So I had people donate their time um, to work out with me and nutritionists and skills coaches and it was time to go to tryouts and I I had an amazing tryout. I was balling out, but I didn't make the team. I remember um, the last 18 people, I guess it was, 
and they you sit in your room in the Olympic Training Center and the coach comes and gets you and then you go into this other room where all the committee is standing sitting and they sit you down and they say, okay Val you did not make the team we didn't choose you but good luck in medical school that's what they said and I immediately started crying and it's not because I it wasn't because I failed, it was the fact I felt betrayed. First of all, my coach was the coach. And, and then I was told I was gonna make the team. So I guess years later, I found out, not actually like two years later, two years ago, I found out that um, David Stern and NBA was really heavily into who made the team. And they wanted certain players to make the team like Rebecca Lobo because it's for, like, for marketing, right? because they're thinking of starting a women's basketball league. So um, I, honestly, I kind of wish that my coach would have said it was Olympic committee and I didn't have a choice, but she never, never said anything to me. Huh. Jeez. Um... But that was really, that, that rocked my confidence as a player. I questioned myself always. After that, I thought I was less than because I wasn't on that 94 six national team um i went into depression all that and then um after that i ended up going over to brazil and, and play so you know if it's okay to ask from you know that point obviously that's a difficult time how do you you know what do you say to yourself how do you collect yourself and say okay i'm just going to go back to work and continue to improve how do you you know how do you sort of rebound from that i guess I think what I ended up doing was getting um, medical treatment. I went to a psychiatrist and a psychologist. I don't know if it was a sports psychologist. I can't really remember. Um, and I thought I was better, but my confidence was still, I was always comparing myself to the people on the national team. And um, I ended up getting called back to be one of the finalists for the 96 team. But I, I think I had given up so much and I wasn't in shape when they called me back or anything. And so I didn't, I didn't make it as well, but I. All right, apologize. I'm just gonna apologize to anyone who's watching this as well as Coach Val. Had some internet issues, that is on me. We are back now, looks like things are good. So uh, we're gonna just pick it back up. Um, how did you rebound, you know, from those, those words, you know, from the national team committee? And, you know, how did you pick pick yourself back up and rebound, I guess, to play on words with the whole basketball term there. So I had a mixture of, <clears throat> of feelings. I had sadness and I had just like anger. I was so mad and um, I ended up like, like I said, ended up going into a depression as a result of it. And I got therapy and I um, got medical treatment and went on medication, probably didn't really, um, address the issue at hand with um, why I was so angry and, and betrayed, I felt. I honestly wish I would have, could have spoken to my coach because how my brain works, uh, maybe how everybody's brain works, I have to know why with everything. Like, yep. <laughs> I have to know, tell me why, you know? And it would have been nice to hear why and what they were looking for and, you know, what I could have done better. I didn't really hear any of that. So I ended up going to Brazil, um, thought I was fully recovered. Like I said, still always constantly wondering about my comp myself as a player because I didn't make that team a must-in. 
And I always tell kids, never let anybody or anything take your confidence away. And that's the biggest lesson for me from that experience of the national team was I let that affect my confidence long-term. So you come from that, you know, you go, go to Brazil, and then the ABL, how was the ABL and what was that experience like and how different perhaps was it, you know, coming from those experiences in Italy and Brazil? Um, yeah. How was, how was the ABL for you? The ABL was great. Um, I, so it started in 96. Um, and I, got, I guess I got contacted when I was overseas about, about this when I was in Brazil and um, this is actually my Brazilian teammate ended up playing in the ABL as well for Philadelphia. And actually two, no, actually both of them ended up playing for Philadelphia. It was another Brazilian teammate who was from Brazil. who was on the Brazilian national team. But I ended up playing, they ended up putting two um, founding players on each team that you didn't get drafted. They just placed you there. So I went to um, the San Jose Lasers um, basically because I was a Stanford player and they put Jennifer Azy there as well. And the guy actually owned the San Jose Lasers at the time. It was the same guy who owns the Golden State Warriors right now. Oh, wow. So that was, that's kind of, that's a cool fact. And so um, they paid us six figures. Um, and I think the season was six months. And um, it was, we felt like we had input into the league. Um, felt like we were helping the league grow with regards to getting out in the community. Um, Reebok was one of the sponsors as well as um, Nissan. And we had, we were on the TV network that we would be on Fox, like local Fox channels, um, sports, Fox Sports, and I believe BET. And then the year later, the WNBA came about. And so apparently they took most of the major TV deals and it's really hard to survive without a major TV deal. And we're, we're happening at the same time, so much to the point that their marketing would, would say, we got next. And then ABL would say, we got players. It was because it was known that the ABL had better players than the WNBA. For example, all of the Olympic team, 96 Olympic players, the Olympic team went to the ABL, except for three people, Lisa Leslie, Rebecca Lobo, and Shell Swoops. They went to the the WNBA. So um, we're existing at the same time. And then, like, for example, ESPN wouldn't even put our highlights on, on ESPN, but they would put the WNBA highlights on ESPN. Mm, I you see. Know? We even had our first ever slam dunk contest um, with Sylvia Crawley. Um, she made actually a blindfold dunk. Who does she take off from just inside the free throw line? And I don't think that made any kind of national news. So eventually halfway through the third season, the ABL folded and I was just home for Christmas break. And I got a call from a, um, from a, a, what's that called? a reporter from my local newspaper in Delaware saying, I think it was actually Kevin Tresolini. He was like, hey, Val, what do you think about the league folding? I was like, what? <laughs> and then I hung up and I don't, I don't remember who I called and found out the league folded. And so um, we're all in shock and we all went back, like my team, we all went back to Seattle and we were standing in line at the unemployment office in Seattle, you know, to, to file for unemployment. And we just all just went back 
in trying to figure out what our next step was. And the next step was to go to the WNBA. Apparently, I didn't realize this until I had a conversation on Clubhouse, not Clubhouse, yeah, Clubhouse, with um, some another w, ABL and WNBA player. There were 20 slots available for ABL players, but there were 90 ABL players who were 20, 20 slots available in the WNBA for us, but there were 90 of us trying to get those slots. And they had a combine with all the WNBA players as well for those 20 spots. So we're like killing each other for those 20 spots. And the WNBA Players Association and the CBA put in, in the contract that they, they would not allow more than three ABL players per team because we had great players. We were going to be taking people's spots. So we only had three players per team. So a lot of ladies didn't, you know, didn't get picked up at all. And my friend, Sylvia Crawley, who was a slam dunk winner, was one of those people who didn't get picked up. Um, but she, but they, I think there was expansion draft the next year and she got picked up by the Portland team. But yeah, a lot of great players didn't get picked up and didn't get drafted. So with that being said, and with how that situation went, was there any sort of uh, reluctance, I guess, to join the league? Or was it like, hey, this is another chance to go and play? Or was there any sort of mixed feelings, I guess? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember we were in the room. We were in our rookie orientation. I say rookie. I was 27. We got a little rookie to probably like 30. You know, people have been playing overseas for 10 years or whatever. And David Stern was talking to us. And Edna Campbell, um, she's a, she went to the University of Texas. She was in ABL as well. Probably like the best mid-range game you ever see. Um, said something about, I don't know, she started crying. And I think it had to do with the ABL folding and her friends not getting jobs. And then David Stern was like, well, and I think she was talking about how she felt the WNBA did that. And David Stern was like, well, you guys were always, the ABL was always taking jabs at us saying that you had players. We didn't have players. And so I think there's some animosity. I still, still myself have mixed feelings and call myself more, I feel more of an ABL player than a WNBA player even though I list myself as ex-WBA because nobody knows about the ABL. But yeah, I, I, I still, to this day, feel so much more connected to the ABL. It's, it's interesting to hear about that and how that all went down. Um, just geez, you know, um, especially hearing that some of those women were not able to make those rosters, you know, it's just, it sounds just like a, a tough situation and just not like a, a fun one at all. Um, do you think, you know, with the way the league is now that it's is different, I guess you could say, in terms of like ownership and how it's run uh, compared to. Oh, back yeah, then? it's way different because when you when back then, I don't know when they changed this, when you were drafted by a WBA team, um, you signed the contract with the league. So your check came from the league. Um I mean, it's the same now. I mean, it's not that part's not the same. Now you can sign this free agency. There wasn't free agency. Oh. Right? There wasn't like I can go, um, I can be recruited by, um, what is that team? Like another team. I had to actually either be waived or, 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 or traded and because I was on the contract with the league. Now you sign with individual teams, right? 
before then you sign with the league and your contract is with the league. Now you can have a three-year contract with the Washington Mystics. Hmm. So it's no like like free agent frenzy like they have Jeez. now. Huh. It's more like, oh, someone got traded and someone got waived. And I think you can still do that now, but it wasn't, it just was way different. So this this was the part that I find the most fun because my father was actually able to find this. Um Oh, yeah. How was your time with the Seattle Reign, and what do you remember most from that time, that experience in Seattle? I remember having probably the best teammates in the world in, in, in Seattle and the best fans. That's what I remember. Now, it's interesting to me uh, that, you know, I just want to say obviously where, but <laughs> what sort of stuck in your mind about Seattle? Obviously, you know, uh, sort of Washington has, I guess, become home to you. How did that come to be? I guess if that, you know, if that's okay to ask, you know, because um, I know that you talked about uh, the weather here is, as we know here, the weather is not always consistent. But how did how did you end up uh, landing here? I guess is the main question. Um, so I like in 2012, I closed my business back in Delaware. I had a um, workout facility, actually a CrossFit gym, and. I just wanted to be close to my parents. My parents lived here. They lived, they moved here when my oldest son was like three months old um, because of Microsoft. And so they were out here and my sister's here too and her family and we were back East and just wanted to be moved closer to them. So it's always cool to hear, you know, how people end up here just because some people obviously do have their issues with the weather, but still, still pretty cool when I found that I was like, oh, wait, you know. <laughs> Uh, for reference, when I, I asked Coach Val about uh, scheduling and t- uh, what was it, uh, time zones, uh, it was like, oh, we have the same time zones. I was like, oh, shoot. So that, that was a cool moment for me, I guess. I just, I know, I, I take yeah. heaven people. I let you know I live in Seattle because it's on my, um, let's just say greatest Seattle area in my LinkedIn profile. So, you know, just a little Seattle pride, I guess. Um Here's one that I'm kind of interested about. What is one thing that you miss about playing the game of basketball professionally? And one is one thing that you do not miss from playing the game of basketball professionally. Um, I miss being on a team. Uh, I miss that. And like being at practice and the high fives and um, encouraging others and being encouraged. And I, I realized I missed that when um, a couple years ago, I, I went and joined a, ultimate frisbee league um, for beginners and it was just really cool being on the team and I was we're all learning a new sport and encouraging each other and saying good job and working hard and messing up but uh, having somebody standing next to you and saying yeah I'm messing up too let's do this together so I was like you know I really miss being part of the team so that's that's what I, I do miss the most what I do what I don't miss is um and this is on me is how I um, approached the game. I was too um, analytical, analytical, and I overthought things, and it, it ruined me as a player. So I, that's that's what I don't miss. Now it's interesting because uh, if you know Coach Val, Coach Val has a, a large following on TikTok, and I would have guessed that it would have been conditioning, just because. Oh boy. Conditioning is always not, not always the fun part of it. Uh, but that definitely doesn't make sense. You know, uh, I think it's important to sort of, I, I like seeing, well, this transitions great into my next question. Um, 
you know, so many athletes now are speaking up about certain things, you know, whether it's uh, mental health or their struggles. Um, what, what motivated you to start, you know, empowering, educating and motivating uh, young adults and adults? On, on TikTok? Well, that and just uh, throughout all the work that you've done. Oh, I just have always been um, involved in, in empowering and hanging around youth. Okay, that sounds good, hanging around youth, but just empowering. <laughs> I, it keeps me young. I love coaching. Um, when I was in the WNBA, I had a, a summer league for, for girls, high school girls that taught life skills um, as, in education as well as basketball was the, tick, was the carrot to get them in there and end up winning the community assist award for, for those efforts. So I've always wanted to somehow give back to what I've learned, whether it's my successes or my, my failures to the younger generation. I, I feel it's my calling and I don't, if I didn't do it, I, was, I wouldn't, I don't, I just wouldn't feel right. What sort of new challenges has, you know, both, uh, that as well as public speaking, what are they, what sort of new challenges have they brought to you? Um, or is it just kind of come all come together for you? There's nothing really that uh, is a big issue. Um, with, with regards to female athletes, what I focus on is on my TikTok page when I'm not doing silly skits. Um, it's confidence. Um, a lot of girls are suffering or struggling with confidence. Um, it's bullying. Uh, girl, female athletes are getting bullied because they're female athletes. And so that's why I actually just changed my TikTok focus to female athletes because I saw how they were getting bullied in comments and on their pages, it's really, really bad from boys, from teenage boys who probably couldn't run without falling. So that's what they're facing. And, and they're facing it in real life too. Um, I'll, I'll get questions. How do you deal with boys who are putting you down or making fun of you because you're an athlete or saying you're, you're better than you, which I never had that experience, but I think maybe, maybe because I went to all girls high school. So maybe someone else who's my age has had that experience, but real athletes and um, true athletes that are the real deal do not put down and um, make fun of other, other athletes. They, they stand by them and they, they appreciate the grind each other i definitely think that's that's key to note that you know these real athletes these people that dedicate their lives to this stuff i mean you you don't see people in the nba putting down people in WNBA. that doesn't happen at least not that i've seen you know so it's 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 something that um i spoke with uh our uh ol rain uh forward bethany bowser about it um mm -hmm. and she mentioned you know that so many of these people that are doing these things um they were well they see you know women's sports and they say oh this is some you know they make a dumb comment oh this is boring this and this is that they're they're so geared to watching sports in one way and they you know um they might have not ever seen you know say a WNBA game or an nwsl game they're just so geared to a certain mindset and they grow with that mindset and that's not good and it, i think it's important you know to educate people when they're young about this um and that you know there are women's leagues and it's, it's so that people know because like you said some people don't even know about the abl some people may not know about the wnba or the nwsl just because they might not get featured um, i know that we spoke about highlight her the other day 
but some people may not see it on, you know, whether it's Instagram with House of Highlights or, you know, different media aspects with ESPN or Bleacher Report, they might not see these things. Um, so with that being said, what, what steps do you think need to be taken to further grow women's sports? If, if I were to task you with that and put you on some sort of board, you know, what sort of steps do you think you'd take? At least I'm putting you on the spot right now. Yeah, I guess I was, I wish I knew the answer. I'd be like the head of the WBA right now, I guess. I one, one thing I get frustrated with is the marketing. And I first I thought it was the WBA, but maybe it's like ESPN. Like we never know when games are happening into the last minute. I, I'm watching NBA games and I'm seeing advertisements for an MLB game that's coming on soon, right? And that it should be saying WBA game is coming on. The season starts. I haven't seen anything about the season starting. Maybe I haven't watched enough TV, but the season starts May 14th. And how I found out was on Twitter. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen anything on television nope. saying that. That's, but like I said, I haven't been watching a lot of TV. So I don't know if you've seen it. You, yeah, that. See? Yeah, well, to be fair, all I watch is the games that are on TV. I don't really, I haven't watched much television, but even that I have not, like, like you said, I learned about the storm schedule release on Twitter. That's how I found out just because I follow the storm pages. Um, so I do think that's a key point because I do, I did want to mention the NWSL was not mentioned at all on ESPN until like one point last year. That's one, you know, and they, they don't show highlights, nothing. So yeah, I think, I think the media aspect is such a big thing. And that's what I try to do, you know, with these interviews more so is try to tell these stories of these women and just make sure that people know who these people actually are. You know, it's not just, Oh, you know, cause I feel like to a degree, if you know these people a little bit more, maybe, and you understand the stories, maybe you'll be able to incline to say, Hey, let me learn about their teammates or, you know, just, whatever I and I try to listen you know just so I can hear what I can do better because technically I'm part of the media I know I'm not with an outlet yet you know but I'm, I'm just trying to take what I learned from whether it's you or uh, Jewel Lloyd or uh, Bethany Balser with the NWSL and Amber Brooks um, just trying to see what can be done you know because until we can get to you know the big companies that you know, it's the middle of an NBA game and they talk about this baseball game that happens later that who knows how many people will watch, you know. Uh, and even even on the little the little bottom scroller, you know, I don't know how many times yeah. show, yeah. you know what I mean? They always so, do that. Like they'll say Lakers versus Warriors, Sunday, ABC. If they could do that for them. Maybe they'll, we'll see. I don't know. That's the thing. Like I, for a while, this is weird, for a while during the summer, I forgot the WNBA like was happening, and then I accidentally turned on TV. I forgot all about it, and I would start watching it because it wasn't marketed. Nothing, it's just nothing was really you know really said about it. So I, I want that to be better. Apparently, they did a good job of marketing the draft this year. That's what um, someone said, but um, I still think it could be better. I know in the last co- collective bargaining agreement. I believe something was in there about putting more marketing dollars towards the WNBA. And I think, I think uh, that's such a big piece is putting that money uh, towards marketing. And it's interesting to, to think about that because uh, commissioner Engelbert said that if this season <laughs> is successful, you know, I'm sure that's a financial thing. If it's a financial successful season, 
that they're open to expanding. Now, do you have some thoughts on some places that, you know, think that the league would expand to? That's I was in that, that clubhouse meeting last week. Someone was that room. Someone was talking about what they thought the best place would be. It was some random places too. Um, what was it? Someone said Nebraska. They thought huh. Nebraska was a good sports town for women. It was another place. I was like, it was another weird place. I can't think. It wasn't Memphis. It was like places there weren't any NBA teams. Mm. they were saying that they think because of how strong i think the bay area because of stanford i don't know how they're um and and the fact that the guy who's on the, the abl team was the owner of the, the warriors um trying to think where else it was just they should put it where like south carolina that they, they, they lead the what the country in in um attendance for um for NCAA, South Carolina, they've gotten behind Dawn Staley and her, and her program. So it's, I think it's going to have to be a place where they're, where women's basketball is strong. I'm curious about how well the team is doing in Connecticut. I don't know much about that team. And it, it's interesting you mentioned the Bay because as far as I know, and unless somehow I'm forgetting, all that the, the league has right now in California are the Sparks. Uh, so mm-hmm. it would it would fit to have a Bay team. Um, it's just interesting to sort of hear about that and read that and think, okay, you know, whenever a league talks about expansion, there's always, oh, everyone wants to throw their, their hat in the ring. And it's just interesting to see where that might be, you know. But again, to touch back on, you know, the growth of these sports, I think it is important to actually market, you know, the league. And uh, hopefully, you know, some of these media outlets would actually do their part too in doing so because it's not like there's not highlights there are highlights there are people there are players it's just about making sure that they get marketed um and again it's like i said obviously i'm not a woman and i don't you know i'm not a woman in sports so i I, again i just try to listen um see what i can do and just sort of hear how we can go forward with this sort of thing you know what i mean so um I want to end with this. What sort of lessons have you learned from coaching? What sort of things? Cause I mean, I think in life we all sort of continue to learn as we go on, you know what I mean? What sort of lessons have you learned um, as you've been coaching? Um, that believe it or not, people relate to you more when you struggle. Um, if I only shared, Oh, I got, all my accolades and all my championships I don't think kids be able to relate but I I think the reason why I do well on TikTok is because I like I I shared with for the first time ever like last year um my struggle with depression I took a season off from the WNBA because of depression and nobody no one knew that until last year 2020 that's the first time I ever said that so a lot of kids were felt that they could be brave and come out and talk about how they were playing and sport and feeling like that. You know, I talk about my struggle with confidence. I make fun of it, you know, like, like I'll make funny skits of being on a bench and going in 30 seconds ago, you're up by 30. But that's real stuff, right? And some professional athletes, the popular ones, may not have gone through that. And they, they don't really talk about that. But I, I've gone through, I've been a starter. 
and I've been a bench warmer. Well, I don't call them bench warmers, I call them game changers. I don't call them bench warmers anymore. So I've been, I started, I've been a game changer. So I think that's what I, what I think the key to coaching is to be transparent and not be this person on a pedestal that you never go into anything that you never felt hurt and you never been frustrated, never got gotten a fight in the game, which I have. <laughs> so all the, all of that, I think that's what's been helpful for me as a coach. So I, I, uh, I do like hearing that, you know, because to your point, you know, some these young players growing up, they might say, oh, she's done this. She's a, she played pro basketball. She won these championships, you know. Um, and like you said, you might not be able to relate to that. But then what's so cool to see is so many of these athletes nowadays are sort of letting <clears throat> that, uh, letting their struggles be known. Obviously, the struggles aren't the fun part, but letting them know, hey, this is a normal thing. This is OK, you know. And I do think that's important. And it's, it's, it is really cool to see that, you know, some of that is uh, the conversation is changing. Um, but I know there's still work to do, you know. Uh, but I do think that's an important thing, an important step to take. Um, and it is really cool to see that um, we're sort of seeing more people take that stand and put their name out there and say, hey, this is, this is something that I deal with. You may see all of my accolades, but I still deal with this sort of stuff. So uh, again, I want to apologize for the technical issues. You can blame Comcast for that. No, I'm sorry about the piano. My dad's playing. Oh, piano. I didn't even hear a piano. Oh, good. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes you can hear in the background, like people's like, "Oh, I love your music." Like, I, I it's not mine. <laughs> um, I do want to really thank Coach Val, you know, for your time um, and just the lessons. Again, whenever I do these interviews, it's always a chance for me to learn from these people and hear how you know like you said how you got through the struggles you know and uh it's really cool to see that you're using your platform uh to empower these uh these women and i may not be a woman but i do follow you on tiktok and it is cool to see the skits but it's it's important i think to for these people to have, these young people that i say young people like i'm not that <laughs> uh you know i think you get what i'm saying though is mm -hmm. to have these people saying hey we're not that different we're really not you know, uh, so again, I want to thank you. Is there anything that you want to uh, leave off on? I know I'll, uh, I'll put your accounts down in the, the description for this, just so people know where to find you. But is there anything that you want to promote or uh, say as a, as a send off? Um, no, I just have a, a mentorship program that I have with um, women's basketball players, ages 13 and up. It's a six month, I'm thinking about making a year, but it's a six month program, which is all about mindset and confidence and mental toughness and get to mentored by me and I wish I had somebody like me when I was younger and I was questioning myself and wanted had so many questions of to what's the next step and how do I navigate this as a young female athlete so um, that's something I'm working on now. it's called the Pierce Baller Academy and um, yeah I'm excited about it I'll definitely make sure to, to put the link in there too just so people can find it easy just so hey you know look down in the description there it is boom Again, I want to thank you for your time, and uh, I hope that we continue to get this good weather, and hopefully, uh, I don't know if you go to them, but hopefully, uh, may maybe I'll see you at some storm games this year. Yeah, are they opening things up? I don't know. That's a good question. See, I know that, you know, season starts around mid-May, right? But I, I know that, uh, obviously, the Mariners are playing with FIA fans, the Sounders are playing with fans, uh, the Rain have fans. 
and then the minor oh, league. Fine, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. So that's I'm, I'm I haven't heard any information on that yet. So it's some like, hey, I'd like to know. You know. So. Yeah, I want to go because I've been chatting with two of the rookies that are trying out, and I just I really hope they make it to me. I don't know though because it's so hard. It's that's why I need to expand because there's not many spots available. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Um, we'll learn more as we, as the season goes on, I guess, but yeah, hoping to get to some of those. And that's a good point. I didn't think about that, that all those other stadiums are outdoors. Good point. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you for your time and, you know, I just, uh, again, thank you. Thanks for having me, Charles. It's great. Baba Bowie.